right, we're in Job chapter 23, continuing the message we uh, looked at this morning. This morning we talked about seeking God's face, what it means to seek God's face, and a little bit, of, and then how you seek God's face. And I want to talk about the same thing tonight, except tonight I want to deal with things that can often be mistaken for the face of God or for God's approval, because that's what we're looking for whenever we're seeking the face of God. It's our way of checking up to make sure God is pleased with what we're doing. And we're trying to do this in a situation where we can't literally see the face of God. And so because of that, because it's something that we do by faith, it's very easy for the devil to step in and to do things that imitate him. You know, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And one thing that we need, everyone in here needs to understand is there will definitely come a time and place in your life where you are not going to be able to find the face of God. And I don't know how long that time is going to last, but here in Job chapter 23, and you know the story of Job, Job was in a situation where he was looking for the face of God and he couldn't find it because Job is not in sin right now, but Job is being tested by God. And Job, but Job does not know this. And Job's wondering where God is. And it says in verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And I want you to notice that while Job here, he's trying to answer his friends who don't know what they're talking about either, we're going to see. And they're telling Job everything that's wrong with him. Job, he's trying to give these guys a response because he doesn't know how to defend himself. These guys are basically accusing him of doing something wicked. And, you know, Job's like, I haven't done anything wrong. But then these guys are like, well, surely you did something wrong. Look at all this bad stuff that's happened to you. And so Job wants to give an answer for why God is doing the things that he's doing. But Job doesn't have an answer. He was looking for one. He's seeking the face of God. His heart's right. But Job is in a place where he does not know where God is. And I'm telling you, every Christian is going to face something like this. I think one of the greatest hymns in our generation is the song Rejoice in the Lord. And we see the, the line here, when he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold, is in that song. But I was thinking, about, as Brother Brian was reading this, I was thinking about that verse of the song where the writer says, I could not see through the shadows ahead, so I looked at the cross of my Savior instead. And one of the things that, you know, that story, if you're not familiar with that hymn and what inspired it, you know, Ron Hamilton, he was somebody who had cancer in his eye and he ended up losing his eye and it was a difficult time. He didn't know what was going on, but, you know, this was something, a song that God gave him during that time. But that, uh, the fact that he wrote that line in there shows me that when he was going through that situation, he was confused. He didn't understand it. Later on, he saw how God used it, and God used him, and God has used that song to be a blessing to many people, just like God has used Job in this story to be a help and a blessing to many people. But you know what? The writer of the song did not know that when all these things were going on. And so... We need to understand there are going to be times in your life where you are looking for the face of God and you can go listen to the message I preached 20 times this morning and you're still going to, you can do every single one of those things. But one of the things we saw in there was you got to have patience because God's not just going to show himself up, you know, show himself, you know, right away when we call every time God's got his own timing on some things. And so it's tough when that happens, but it's going to happen. And so... A couple things that we need to understand, though, because I want to, what I want to do, I want to use Job's situation. I want to use examples from the book of Job to see a lot of the, um, I guess, decoys that are out there that Satan tries to put out there to make us think we're seeing the face of God, to make us feel like God is smiling on us and approving of what we're doing. But we got to watch out for these things. These things confuse people all the time and i think job has some great examples and so there's always going to be this is always going to be a difficult thing because whenever bad things happen to us sometimes it's because we're in trouble with god but sometimes we're being tested by god and let me tell you something you know you can't always trust what other people tell you on that job's friends got it dead wrong 
I promise when you go through a hard time, you're always going to have somebody ready to tell you everything you did wrong that caused that to happen. You're going to have preachers. Preachers, we think we're the best at this. When we see somebody go through stuff, if it's one of our buddies, God's testing them, Satan's fighting them. When it's somebody we don't like, God's judging them because of whatever they did to me. And that's people's attitude. That is, and that's messed up. But that's kind of how people are. We, we need to watch out for that. But a couple things we need to understand about the book of Job before we look at these examples is, uh, first, we need to remember, Job did not do anything wrong that made all these horrible things happen. We're not going to read the whole story, but go read chapter 1. And, I mean, God had nothing but good things to say about Job. He didn't say one negative thing about him when he's talking to Satan. So Job didn't do anything. A lot of preachers have tried to find something Job did wrong. I've heard preachers preach weird things figuring out, they figured out the secret for what Job did wrong. It's like, have you never read the whole book of Job? You sound like Job's friends now. And God rebuked all those guys at the end. And um, in fact, I listened to Jack Scott years ago preach a message on what Job did wrong. And he went to that verse where Job's speaking and he said, that which I feared has come upon me. And basically that's what he did wrong. Because he was fearing and all these things were going to happen, God's like, fine, I'm going to bring it on you. But listen, Every parent has feared the worst about their kids, all right? We all have those things cross our mind. But, uh, no, that's not, the, that's not the case either. It's very clear from here, Job didn't do anything. God was, t- God was testing him. So, that's something we need to understand when we're reading the book of Job. But another thing we need to understand, because God was doing this for his, you know, for his glory. Job was being tested, and the end of the story turns out great. And God always knew what the end of the story was going to be. So God wasn't worried at all through the whole thing. But we do need to understand, Job didn't know how this was going to end. He didn't. Now, by faith, even when he couldn't find God, he said, I'm going to come forth as gold. I mean, that was some faith right there. Even though he couldn't answer his friends and tell them, this is what God's doing and this is what, how it's going to work out, he just like, he knows the way that I take, he knows the way that I take. When he had tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He was just claiming you know, Romans 8.28 pretty much before Romans 8.28 was ever written. That's the amazing thing about Job. But another thing we need to understand about the book of Job, and this is important, and don't take this the wrong way when I say this, but there's a lot of nonsense in the book of Job. Did you know that? And it sounds really good too. There is a lot. You've got to be very careful getting your doctrine from the book of Job because when you're reading a lot of those chapters, it's Job's friends talking. And boy, they, get, they really wax eloquent a few times. And the things they say sound pretty good, but here's the thing, when you get to the end of that book, God rebuked all those guys. So don't get your doctrine from there, okay? Sometimes you can find a verse that sounds like what you think, and you know, don't go preach that, guys. Make sure you know, it was actually right. You don't want to get up and preach something like Bildad the Shuhite, and then, you, know, and then you, know, you need to remember, okay, yeah, that's in the Bible, but that was also from Bildad the Shuhite, and God had to get on to him. Job had to do a sacrifice for his friends. And when Job prayed for him, God forgave him. So keep those things in mind. Also, even if Job's talking, you need to understand that some of the times when Job's talking, he doesn't understand what's going on. We're going to see some of his words where he's just kind of in distress and you know doesn't know what's going on. You've got to be careful getting your doctrine from, from stuff like that. So God, God even rebuked Job a little bit at the end of the book. So always keep those things in mind, otherwise you're going to get the wrong idea. So first thing we need to learn from the book of Job to help us in this area of seeking God's face and make sure that we, to make sure we don't get distracted and start looking at the wrong things is we, one thing we learn from this book is that good times and, and hard times are not a determining factor of whether or not you're right with God. Let's just get that in your head right now. Okay? In your life right now, if things are going good in your life, that doesn't mean you're right with God. If things are going bad in your life right now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not right with God. In our church, good times, hard times, that, these are not clear indicators of whether or not we are right with God. Look at what it says in chapter 2 of Job in verse 9. Remember, Job hasn't done anything wrong, but everything has gone wrong. And so, in the, Job is now in a situation where he's, his, he's covered with boils. And then here comes his wife and she says in verse 9, Then said his wife to him, Dost thou still retain that integrity 
curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. So understand that, you know what? All the good things that Job got in his life were from God and the bad things were from God. You know why? Because remember what we talked about this morning? You are, God is not here to please you and you are not here to please yourself. We are here to bring pleasure to God. And so if God can be glorified, if the cause of Christ can be advanced because of a hard time that we go through, then you know what? We should have the attitude, then let it be. And a lot of times, God uses difficult times that we go through as a way to bring glory to Himself, as a way to maybe even just you know draw attention our way so we can get the gospel to people. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's a million different reasons why bad things can happen. At the end of the day, we can't just go and just take all these good things and take all these good things for ourselves that help us out. But then when God wants to do something for himself and for his cause, and he needs some difficult things to come our way, we're like, well, I'm not taking that. You know, Lord, you're just supposed to be here for me to give me everything I want. No, we need to take whatever God wants to give us. And just understand, because God is such a merciful, loving God, if he needs to have you go through some hard times, he's going to pay you back, folks. I'm not even going to preach about that tonight, but God pays us back for anything he has us do. We're go- you will reap if you faint not. You can mark that down. So we should be okay with that. And, and God pays good too. We've all worked for somebody that like maybe didn't really come through on the paying end. God's going to come through on his end. But good and bad things happen to both saved and lost. Matthew 5.43 You have heard that it's been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And so understand when he's telling them here to you know uh, love your neighbor, when he's telling them to love your enemies, we do not do this so we can gain or earn the sonship of Christ. All right? Obviously, we get that by faith. But what we are, we do that so it will be manifest that we are the sons of God. So it will be apparent to the world that we are His children. Because He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. It's not like it was in the days of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and the Exodus when you had all these horrible plagues coming on Pharaoh and his people and these things weren't coming on the children of Israel and their people. That's not how it works. It doesn't just rain on Christians while everybody else gets a drought. These are not the ways that God reveals Himself or God reveals who His children are. God wants us to be revealed through our doing good works and doing things like loving our enemies. Think about it. If Christians all just got nothing but blessings and riches and everything that the world wants, then everybody's going to want to be a Christian so they can have all everything for themselves. But the truth is, so God does not manifest who's saved and who His children are through those things. God's children, historically, I mean, we're like the filth of this world. That's what Paul said. I mean, they've gone through persecution. They've gone through all kinds of horrible things. But yet, you have Christians sometimes, so-called Christians, who will have this attitude that, man, obviously we're right with God. Look how much God's blessing. Look at how big the crowds are in our church. Look at the money that we got coming in. Look at all these things we've got going for ourselves. Obviously, we're right with God. Well, no, not necessarily. That, that's not an indicator. Good things happen to save people and lost people. Here's what God wants to you know, use to make you manifest. Do you love your enemies? You know, how much love are you showing for people? How much good are you doing? Are you blessing them that curse you? Are you not retaliating when things are done wrong to you, are you just taking wrong like Jesus did? Because that's what it means too to be His children. It means we act like Him, just like when we, you know, we jokingly when we see our kids do something good, you know, that's when we say those are my kids. But then when they do something bad, you know, that's my wife's kids. That, that, we all we all do that, right? What are we saying? We're saying they're acting like me. 
So what reveals who God's children are, it's how we act and not what we gain for ourselves. That is not how God has chosen to reveal His children. So when the righteous are tested, we need to understand that God is setting themselves up for something better. Now, go ahead and turn to Job chapter 42. Let's go ahead and be reminded because remember, throughout the entire book of Job, Job doesn't know what God's doing. Job does not know what is coming. But thankfully, we do. We know the end of the story. And it says in verse 12, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, which is the name of the second, Kezia, and the name of the third, Karen Hoppik. And in all that land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. And after this lived Job an hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations so Job died being old and full of days. And you say, well, you know, it was still a big loss because he lost those other ten kids. Yeah, but you know what? He also had ten more kids that he never would have had had it not been for that. Well, I still think it's sad that those other ten got their lives cut short. Well, guess what? There's something called a resurrection, ladies and gentlemen. There's something called a resurrection. I believe that they were probably saved when you look at Job and the kind of person that he was. And so not only did he get an extra ten kids, but you know what? God gave him a long life. He got to see four generations. I mean, God greatly blessed Job's end. Job ended up having double of all the other possessions that he had. This thing definitely worked out good for Job. And so understand, when the righteous are tested, God is setting them up for something better. And you know what? If you as an individual, you're in that situation where you've been seeking the face of God and with everything you've done to look, you've done all the things we talked about this morning and you know you're right with God, you're, you know you're in obedience to Him, you know what you just got to do? You just got to stay faithful. Just stick it out and understand God's testing you and it's because He has something better for you. Same thing with us as a church. If we're going through something and we don't know what God's doing, you know what we just got to do? We have to keep doing what we know we're supposed to do. We got to stay faithful. God's going to get us through it. And it's just because God's setting us up for something better. Anytime you're going through that, that trial or that test, understand God is going to bless you greatly for it. We've just got to make sure that we endure it. And so, uh, when the wicked have things, now here's another thing we've got to understand. So remember this. Okay. And, and, you know, our problem is we all want to be able to not only judge everyone's situation, but we also want to be able to pronounce that judgment and make sure everyone knows it. Again, you know, if we see somebody being, you know, good things happening to somebody we don't like, we want to make sure they know it's the devil. You know, sometimes we just need to mind our own business, okay, and worry about yourself. But when the here's what we need to understand. Turn over to Psalm chapter 73. When the wicked have good things come, God's often setting them up for a fall. Okay, understand, God does this sometimes. And I'm, I'm showing you this so you know not to, bl- not to base somebody's, you know, whether or not they're right with God based on all the material things that we often look at. Because look what it says in Psalm 73, verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well and I slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of of the wicked. Have you ever looked at the mega churches and thought, you know, maybe we maybe we ought to open up the coffee shop. We could make all that kind of money like that. You know, maybe we ought to put on a trendy fest and you know, maybe, you know, bring in the purple lights and the skinny jeans and all those things. I mean, those people seem like they're doing pretty good financially. I mean, they've got bigger crowds, they've got I mean, we can talk about all these things that they have and it's easy to get easy to get envious at that. And I mean, and after all, what you know, you know, maybe most of y'all don't see this, but if you're involved in the preacher world, okay, if you go to the conferences, you know, the featured speakers at the big conferences are typically the guy who, you know, God just has his hand on them, meaning his church is growing. They got the numbers. They're building buildings. You know, you know, this guy's getting invited to preach all over the place. God's got his hand all over him. God's all over that ministry. That's typically who it is. And so if you want to be like the who's who in fundamentalism, you're supposed to be having the big crowds and the big money and all those things that people often 
associate with God's blessing. But what's funny too, you go to one of these churches like that, okay? You know, so let's say I'm Pastor Old Paz and my church is booming. I mean, the Lord's just blessing all over the place. I mean, we're, we're under the spout where the glory comes out. All these wonderful things happen. I mean, I'm going to get asked to preach at all these places because my church is booming. My church is big and all this other stuff. But then at that same meeting, you know, we're going to talk about all the liberal compromises out there. You know, their churches are growing, you know, because they put on the skinny jeans. Their churches are growing because they compromised, because they're giving the world everything they want. Well, are you sure that that's it? Because you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing liberals grow sometimes, and I'm seeing conservatives grow sometimes. Sometimes I'm seeing people who are, you know, staying on the old paths that aren't really going anywhere, that aren't growing. But you know what else I'm seeing too? I'm seeing a lot of guys going liberal, and their churches are dead as a doornail too, and they can't get anybody in their church. You know what I, you know what I, I figured out now after over 20 years of ministry is that you can't base whether or not somebody's doing things right based on the crowd size. And let me tell you something. A small crowd doesn't mean you're preaching right either. I, I, some people, they act like that's a virtue. Yeah, we only got five people in our church because there's hardly only five people on the planet that can handle my preaching. <laughs> you know? And then you got the other guy. Oh, my church is large because, you know, I preach hard, but I also know how to pastor. I also know how to lead. I also know how to do all these things. You know, I, I mean, honestly, I can't figure out, you know, I, I can't figure out the formula on that stuff. I really can't. I've just learned, you know what, I'm just going to do what I feel the Lord's leading me to do. I'm not just going to be a copycat of another ministry. I'm going to use the personality God gave me. I'm going to use the whatever it is He gave me for the, to the best of my ability. I'm going to pray God blesses. If He does, great. I'm going to pray our church grows. If it doesn't, oh well. We're just going to keep doing the same thing. But it's easy to get envious at the wicked. And that's what the psalmist here almost did. He saw these things. And he goes on in verse 4 says, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. You know, they don't have people attacking them. They don't have the homos going after them. And, you know, getting, they're, they're not getting strikes on their YouTube channel. You know, they're not having people, you know, throw beer cans and things in their yard and all the junk that, you know, we put up with sometimes. They're, therefore, pride compasseth them about. As a chain, violence covereth them. As a garment, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. And I, I've seen it before. I mean, some of these places, they got so much money, it's disgusting. And it's just like, Lord, why can't you send those people our way? You know, with all this money. Why do the millionaires always go to the big mega churches? Don't they already have plenty of money? I don't get that. I mean, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Okay, now listen, here's a verse showing that these bad people are increasing in riches. And yet, a church growing, building buildings and getting all this wealth, that will make them look good in fundamentalism. But folks, is that, is that proof you're good if a church has a lot of money? But let me ask you this, is it proof they're bad too? No, it's not. Listen, I... I wish I could say all every church bigger than us is just compromisers. But that's just not the case. Again, I can't figure out the number of people that you have before you're a compromiser. And I can't figure out you know, how low a number you have to have before you're just a sorry preacher. I, I, I haven't figured those things out. You know, I, I just... I mean, I've, I've known so many different pastors in my life. I know pastors that are out there that, I mean, they can't preach very good at all. They're boring. But yet they have fantastic ministries doing all kinds of great things. And I, I sit there and I scratch my head and I'm like, what in the world is going on? But, you know, God's using them in a great way. You know, there's other preachers that are out there. I mean, just fantastic preachers. They can't seem to get hardly anybody in their church. It's like, what's going on? You know, I, I can't figure out any of these things, folks. I, I've not figured it out. You've got to go to one of the camp meetings or conferences or something. They've always got it all figured out. And you can figure it out too if you buy my book for $20. You know, that's, how, that's how it is. Three for 50. Plant, you know, model on church building. Uh, and then they'll tell you all the things they've done. And, and guys will go and buy those books and they'll imitate these guys. I can't figure out the formula on that stuff. I really can't. I've just, I've just got to the point, I don't care. 
I do whatever I feel the Lord wants us to do. We are not, you know, we, we don't fit any mold. And that's why I got, you know, I got to twist people's arms to even get them to come preach here. Because, you know, Brother Tommy, you know, you know what are you? <laughs> and it's like, I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. You know, emphasis on the independent. I, th- th- that's what we are. And, you know, what are you trying to do? I'm, I'm just trying to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to be this, you know, church that everybody's got to imitate. And that's the other thing people can't figure out, too. Some pe- there's some people out there that I'm friends with that I like, that it's like they're skeptical. Like, Pastor Summit, why are you friends with me? Why do you like me? We do things different. It's like, because I don't care if you do things different. And it does. It just it confuses people like crazy. You know, and multiple times now I've gone to meetings too and pastors have gotten in trouble because I showed up. Because it's like, what's he doing there? And people just assume if I went to the meeting, either I endorse, you know, that, you know, obviously I must think they're like me. And it's like, they got to make sure I'm not, you know, moving these guys on stuff. And it's just like, you know, and they do, they're always getting in trouble. I went to, I went to a meeting Last year, I talked to a pastor from another state who was not that, at that meeting. He said he had three different people tell him I was there. It's like people were like, what's going on? A lot of people thought I had converted back to pre-trib. And, and that was going around too. I had to make some phone calls and be like, um, listen, I just went to that meeting because I was invited. And I had a great time. But just so everybody's clear, I'm still post-trib. All right? I still don't think the Jews are God's chosen people. You know, but why are you here? I like you. I mean, I just, I, I'm a nice guy. You know, but everybody wants you to fit a mold. You know, and I just, I can't find, I can't find that mold. I just feel like I want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit on things. But everybody's always think they've got it figured out. And we're not going to take time to read all this, but I mean, Psalm 73 is a great tra- just a great chapter. But I like what he says in verse 17, because this was really getting to him, seeing all this prosperity of the wicked. And he says, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. So understand, there's some people out there, they're so wicked, and we all know about this, God doesn't want them to repent. And so sometimes what God will do, because money's nothing to God, okay, possessions and all that kind of, that's nothing to God. God will let them have their buildings. God will let them have all that money. You know why? That way, they won't go looking to Him. They won't go seeking His face, and they can just go on into destruction. And just understand, folks, when it comes to the reprobate, that person has been given over to reprobate mind. God has given them over to that so they won't repent. They've been rejected, and that might mean they go along their wicked way enjoying themselves. And we all want to see the reprobate just suffering right now. But no, God doesn't care if they're enjoying themselves right now because He knows what's coming. Just like you, you know, if you see, you know, that, you know those cursed mice, all right? You know, we all hate mice. When you see them enjoying that peanut butter on the mousetrap, do you get mad at that moment when they're enjoying the peanut butter? Just understand, they're having the time of their life while they're eating it. They're having a great time and you provided that for them. But yet, you don't get upset, do you? Because you're like, I know what's coming. And then pretty soon, and then you're, yeah. And that's how God is. God sees that person given over to a reprobate mind, enjoying all that wealth, enjoying all these things that God's let him have that's nothing to him. Because God knows what's coming for him. But you know what? You and I, we're so faithless sometimes. We'll see these people. We know they're in the wrong. We know they're going against the Word of God. But because we see them eating the peanut butter right now and enjoying themselves, we think, well, something must be wrong. You know what? Consider their end. Because these things, the things of this world, they do not prove anything. They do not prove you're right with God. And they don't, if you don't have those things, they don't prove you're not right with God. If you're rich, it doesn't prove you're right with God. If you're poor, it doesn't prove you're right with God. There's rich people, 
that are right with God. There's poor people that are right with God. God's the one who He made both of them. So, so as a church, we should never judge our success or failure based on crowd size, financial blessings, notoriety, any of those things. Because there's compromising churches that are huge, and there's ones that are dead, small and dead as a doornail too. And same thing with good churches. And when someone, and so when someone takes a financial hit or has a health problem, whatever, it's okay. Okay, if you take some kind of financial hit, whatever happens to you, it should be automatic. You're looking at the, you're looking for the face of God. Anything happens, you know, if something good happens, you look at the face of God. Okay, just always doing that. It's okay for you to check when when something happens noticeable in your life. Make you know, do it so you can check. Make sure you're not doing anything wrong. But you know what? God could be using those bad things to get our attention, but He could be testing us. He, he we don't know. And there might be a period of time where we're kind of in limbo, for lack of a better term. We're just not sure which way. And so when we're in that phase of time where we don't know what's going on, we don't know what God's doing, here's what we need to do. We just need to focus on what we know is right and claim Romans 8.28 the whole time. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. You know what you need to do when you're in that time in your life where you just don't know what God's doing? Do what you know you're supposed to do. That's not the time to get out of church. Hey, we know we're supposed to be in church. That's when you just, I don't understand what's going on in my life. I think I'm going to take a break from church. Wrong. Hey, you know what you should do? You should go to church when you don't know what's going on. And when everything, whenever you do know what's going on, you know what you should do? You should go to church. Whenever you don't know what's going on in your life, that's not your time to get out of the ministry and quit soul winning and doing all those things. No, we know we're supposed to do that stuff. You know what you need to do when things aren't going well in your life? When you don't know what's going on, you should go soul winning. When things are going great in your life and everything's wonderful, you should go soul winning. You should just keep, you should keep doing those things. That's not the time to stop in those things. You've got to just, you know, keep it going. And so the next thing too, turn over to Job chapter 16. And we're going to, we're going to look at something here. Some of you, when I, when I say this, you're going to think, well, I can think of a, I can think of a contradiction in that in the Bible. There's no contradiction in the Bible. One thing you need to understand, your friends and your counselors are not always going to be able to help you out. When you are in that time where you can't find the face of God, your friends and your counselors are going to be, be just as lost as you are on this. It says in Job 16, verse 1, Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I could also speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth, and the moving of my lips should assuage your grief. Job is in this horrible time of grief. His friends show up, and what do they do? They're telling him everything he did wrong. I'll tell you why you're going through this, Job. you got sin in your life. They were wrong. Job didn't have sin in his life. But here's what you've got to understand. People can't find God's face for you. But they always think they can. They always think they can. You know, if you want to know what's wrong with you, if you're looking for the face of God and you want me to help find the face of God, I'll I'll tell you why God's frowning at you right now. Give me some money. You haven't been treating me well enough. You know, you haven't done everything I've told you to do as a pastor to make my job easy. I'll tell you. You know, I'll do like the TV preacher. Send me a thousand dollar, you know, seat of faith. You know, that's that's what all these people are doing. Okay, I can't find the face of God for you. You're supposed to be doing that. that, that. That's your job. Sometimes people... Two, they just don't know what to say. A lot, you know, and I, man, I've been here so many times as a pastor in my life where it's like people come and they throw really hard stuff at you. And it's just like, I'll be sitting there panicking, you know, in my mind. I, I've been there before. I remember when I first started the church, I remember it was like the first time somebody called me over for, for counsel and help. And I, you know, new pastor, I'm ready to go, right? You know, this is what I've been waiting for. And I went over there. Man, they start throwing all this stuff on me. And I was just sitting there. I'm like, all right, Lord, I need that, you know, Holy Spirit touch because uh, I'm, I'm not ready for this one. I didn't tell them hardly anything. I just let them talk to me. And they got done just thanking me and talking about how much I helped them. They just went on and on and on about how great. 
hope I wasn't. I just walked out of there like, what happened? <laughs> I mean, I, I said I said some stuff, but I think it was one of more those things where I just I think I just gave him a word salad, you know, because you know that, that's what I felt like I was doing. Where it's like you don't know what to say, but you feel like if you say a bunch of stuff, it looks like you answered the question. I think that's what they call a word salad. Oh, but the Lord must have used something in there because they acted like I was a great help, and I just walked away like, well, all right. <laughs> I just gave God the glory for it. And th- which means I probably did say something really good. But I'm definitely not going to take any credit for it because I, I didn't know what to do. And in Job 2, verse 11, this, and this is what Job's friends did at first when they came. It says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and they knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So I'm not real sure, because I'm not you know from that time and that culture, but I don't know. A part of me when I read this, it's like if I was suffering and then my friends came, like if I was in the hospital and you came to visit me and you just saw me and lost it, I don't know if that would make me feel any better. It was like, you know, do I really look like I'm dying that much? That's what these guys did, man. When they just saw Job, they just, they lost it, started crying. But then they went and they just sat there with him for seven days, which I think was really nice. You know, it shows how close they were to him. They just sat there for seven days but the thing is, unfortunately, they started talking eventually. We'll, we'll look at that here in a minute. But, you know, typically base their advice off their own idea of what they, of what they think God would do. So if, if they don't like what you're doing, you know, God's punishing you. If they like what you're doing, you know, God's testing you. It just, it just depends on your standing with them. And that's how preachers are the worst about that. And I think it's ridiculous. But you know what? After Job ends up speaking, and if, if we're not going to take time to read it all, but here at the end of um, chapter 2 is where Job's three friends come in for seven days. They sit with them and nobody says anything, which is very interesting. But then in chapter 3, Job speaks. After chapter 3, Job finally... He just basically starts pouring his heart out. And you know what? A lot of what Job said, I don't think was correct. I mean, he's cursing the day he was born. He's not cursing God. But he's just like cursing the day that he was even born because he's so miserable during this time. And so then these guys are sitting there. It's like, man, seven days we've been sitting here. You know, I've been thinking about this, Job. And here you open your mouth. And now they're ready to straighten Job out. And then here in chapter 4, we see then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If we essay to commune with thee, Wilt thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? I've sat here long enough. I've been watching you suffer under the hand of God and I haven't said anything, but you know what? It's time for me to let you know what's wrong with you. And he says in verse 3, Behold, thou hast instructed many and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upholden him that was falling and thou hast strengthened the feeble needs, but now it has come upon thee and thou faintest. Now you're the one going through a hard time. You know, you've always been somebody to go and help other people and try to lift them up when they're struggling, but now look at you here, just sitting in dust and ashes, covered with boils, cursing the day you were born. Now you're the one fainting. Hey, man up, Job. That's not what Job needed during this time. Uh, You know, he said, you know, is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope in the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or or where were the righteous cut off? Let's see, Abel, how about Abel? He was righteous and he perished, didn't he? Did you know sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people? And we're not going to take time to read all this, but most of the time it's these guys just trying to prove to Job you had to have done something wrong. You had to have done something. And, and what, but let's, let's read another verse. Um, in verse 8, even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Now, listen, 
That's a true statement, isn't it? Isn't that what the Bible says in the New Testament? For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So is what Eliphaz is saying here true? And you know what? What he said here is true, but you know what he did? And this is what people do a lot. Whenever they're trying to judge a situation, they'll get up and they will pontificate all these truths, but they misapply them in your situation. Preachers do that all the time. You've got to understand this too. Preachers aren't perfect. Preachers often will get up and they will preach all these truths from the Bible, but then they, what they will do though is they'll take those truths and they'll misapply them for a situation. And that's not right. That, and so we've got to understand that while you know, we often look to certain people to try to help us out, sometimes they mess up. And these guys definitely messed up. You see, in Isaiah 55, verse 8, we know this passage says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we, we are often wrong in our thinking. We often think we know what God's doing. We think we understand how He's moving in this situation. But folks, we haven't got it figured out. We've got all these old-timers that are out there today. And you know, I thank God for the old-timers that are still trying to stick by the stuff. But we got a lot of these guys that are looking back at the glory days and trying to figure out how they can conjure them things back up. And they're always just trying to, you know, re-spark something. And they credit all the movement of God into like a music style, a worship style or something like that. They call them the old paths. And then they think, you know, that's the key. But folks, you know, and here, here's what they do. They get up. I'll tell you why God gave us revival back then. It was that prayer meeting we had. We had an all night prayer meeting the night before. That might have been it. But you know what? A lot of people have had all night prayer meetings and nothing happened. A lot of people have had prayer meetings for years. And then God finally broke through and did something. A lot of people have had prayer meetings for years and nothing happened. Folks, nobody's figured out the formula. All we have today in most of these conferences are guys who've built successful churches, meaning they have big numbers, the big money, everything everybody wants, and then they're coming and trying to tell everyone how they conjured it up. We don't know why God blesses the way He does. Everybody's ministry is different. Every situation is different. And then what do they do? They go home and they try to imitate these guys to a T, and then those things don't happen. It's like, what's going on? And then they just find somebody else to imitate. You know what? Just do what you feel the Lord is leading you to do. Jesus Christ is supposed to be the head of your church, not some Baptist Pope somewhere. Find out what He wants you to do and then go do it. And so the important thing we have to understand though, some things are very difficult and complicated and sometimes man has no idea what to do. But it still won't stop them from giving their ideas. You know, and it, sometimes we just got to say, I have no idea. That's some of the most encouraging advice I've ever gotten is when preachers have told me, I don't even know. It's like, good, I'm not the only clueless one. I'm telling you, I've been greatly encouraged by that kind of advice before. But look, let's look at some conflicting passages here. Look what it says in Proverbs 11:14. Because I said you can't always count on your counselors. Here it says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. You can always count on the multitude of counselors. Well, the Bible also says in Romans 3, 4, God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. So wait, which one is it? God, you know, God be true and every man a liar? See, the bottom line here is we have, to, we, we have to keep looking for God's face at all times. You have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you do this by doing what you know you're supposed to do and asking God to point the way. God may point the way through His Word. If God tells you what you're supposed to do in His Word, then let God be true and every man a liar. But sometimes, there's areas where God's Word does not give us definite, clear instruction. So when we find ourselves in that situation, that's when we go to the multitude of counselors. Do you understand? So, sometimes you, you know, you've got to claim, you have to know when to apply these verses. And there's a lot of things, we, we look at these things all the time, things that seem like they're conflicting. And what it comes down to is you have to just judge your situation. You have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes He's going to lead you the Proverbs 11:14 route. Sometimes He's going to lead you the Romans 3, 4 route. We have, to, we have to figure out what we're supposed to do. And you know what? When you have a Bible verse 
You know, who cares what the multitude of counselors says? You know what? If I have a multitude of counselors telling me to drop soul winning in this church, I don't, I don't think we should drop soul winning. Well, the Bible says in the multitude of counselors there's safety. I know what the Bible also tells us to go soul winning too. So let God be true and every man a liar. Well, you know, I don't know what we should do in this situation. We've got a really tough spot here. I can't really find anything in the scriptures to, to help me out. Well, you know what? In a multitude of counselors there's safety. Why don't you go talk to some people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and ask for their help? You see how that works? It's not just a, just do this one thing every time. You've got to figure out, you know, what God wants you to do in that situation. And so often people use the multitude of counselors to help them justify going against the Bible. But no, the, the multitude of counselors is there for when the Bible just isn't clear. So the thing everyone has to do is establish some things in your life that you will always do and, ne- and, and or, or some things that you will never do and you have to establish these things in your life before the hard times come. Hard times are not the time to be making decisions. Good times are the times to be making decisions. Don't, and here's the thing too. Don't promise you're going to do something that you can't handle. But you know the truth is, there are some decisions that should be made before conflicts come. Notice, I'm going to, you don't have to follow these, but I'm just going to read them to you real quick. In Job, several different verses in Job 2.9, Then said his wife and him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. What's she saying right there? Job, he had already determined in his heart he would never curse God. You know, that was obviously a standard he had in his life. That was a conviction he had in his life. And now he's in a situation, well, of course, if there's a time to curse God, now's the time to do it. So what does she say? Does thou still retain that integrity? You still retain your innocence? Just go ahead and curse God and die. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. He'd already made that decision that he wouldn't do that before this hard time came. We see in Proverbs 27, 4, My lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. God forbid that I should justify you. Till I die, I will not remove mine integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. There were some things Job had determined he was going to hang on to them before. And he's like, I'm not going to let it go. I'm feeling like it right now, but these decisions I made a long time ago, I'm sticking to them. I'm going to hang on to these things even though we're going through a tough time. He said in chapter 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then shall I, should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above? And what inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with vanity or if my foot hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God might, may know mine integrity. If my step hath turned out of the way and mine heart walked after mine eyes and if thy blot hath cleaved my hands, then let me sow and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. What's he saying here when he's talking about his integrity and his innocence? Job is referring to all of these things that he had already determined. I'm not moving from these things. I'm not changing on these things. And while he was going through these hard times, even though he didn't know what God was doing, he had already, he had already determined, he already knew, I'm not supposed to do this. I don't know what God's doing right now, but I know I'm not supposed to go this direction. I know I shouldn't be making this decision. I already decided on that a long time ago. And so here I am in a situation now where it would be easy for me to try something else and do something different. But you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm going to retain my integrity. And let me tell you, there are some decisions that should already be made. You want to know a decision I will never have to make again is whether or not I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Do you know for some people that's a weekly decision that they have to make every week? Oh, am I going to go to church today? No, I don't, we don't make that decision. That's not a discussion. That shouldn't be a discussion. Oh, you know, you're a pastor, you know, so it has to be that way. Hey, listen, it needs to be that way for everybody. Okay, I just understand. It's, and, you know, under, I understand there's things that stop you from going to church. There's things that can't be helped. But there should never, it should never be a matter of a decision. Okay, that decision's already been made. You know what I never have to decide? I ne- a decision I've never had to make in all my life of making money, I've never had to make a decision. Well, I mean, I guess I did once. A decision about tithing. I made a decision a long time ago I was going to do it. And so, you know what? As the increase comes in, it's not a discussion. Are we, my, my wife never asked me, are we tithing this week? She, she's never asked me that before. That, that's, that question's never come up. Why? That's all, that decision's already been made. You know another decision that, that we don't have to make? 
is whether or not we're going to stay married. We already made that decision. I made that decision back before we went up to the altar and made the vows. We made a decision that we're going to stay married. Now, have hard times come in the marriage? Well, of course, there's been some bad days. But you know what? When those days come, I don't have to make a decision about whether or not I'm going to stay with my wife. That decision has already been made. There's, there's not, there's not, I've, I've never been in a situation where, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to stay with her? You know, am I supposed to start finding something else? You know, who else, Lord? I, I, don't, I don't have to wonder about these things. But you know, that's where a lot of people are at. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. You've got to stick it out. You've got to stay married. You've got you to fix whatever's going wrong. You know, a decision we, we, we don't make is whether or not we're going to raise our kids in a godly home. A decision was made a long time ago. We decided a long time ago, before we even had kids, what kind of home we were going to raise our children in. We've got too many people, they wait until they're in turmoil and hard times are coming, and then they try making the decision. No, make these decisions ahead of time. That's the way these things are supposed to work. And so Job, he had done that. And so now Job is in a situation where he's seeking the face of God and he can't find Him. And it's because he's being tested, but he does not know that. But there had been things in Job's life when he was in a time of clarity, when he was in a time of good and blessing, where he had determined, I am never going to do this. This isn't going to happen. I'm going to do this. And so when tough times came and he's kind of being pulled in all these different directions, Job said, I'm not changing. I'm not moving from these things. You know, I don't, I don't make a decision every week. What kind of Bible am I going to preach this sermon out of? I made that decision a long time ago. It's, it's, not, it's not even a question. And so we need to understand we're all going to go through periods of time in our life where things get difficult. We're right and wrong. It's hard to figure out. But we got to make sure when those times come, when the times come where it gets hard, you know, that if we're, um, that, you know, we don't end up messing things up and making it where it's even harder to find God because we're making rash decisions. Okay? And I believe the examples of Job will help us in this because Job's friends clearly had all the wrong ideas about finding the face of God. They were looking for God's approval in all the wrong ways, in all the wrong places. And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing. And so I just want to prepare you because you should always be looking for the face of God, but there will be times in your life where you're struggling. There will be times as a church where we're going to be going through, we might go through some stuff and we're just like, man, I, I don't know what's going on. You know, what are we going to do? Well, now's not the time to change our music. You know, that's not the time to change our Bible. That's not the time to you know, change our doctrine. When we find ourselves in those times, you know what we're going to do? We're going to double down on all the things we've already decided we're going to do. And we're just going to keep on doing that. And, you know, let, and we'll just know, when He hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. We'll be alright. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help to everyone here. And dear Lord, I pray You'll just help all of us to just constantly, constantly seek Your face, Lord. I pray that uh, You'll help us stay close to You. And Lord, when we find ourselves in these difficult situations, I pray, Lord, that we'll just keep on doing what we know we're supposed to do. If there's one here right now that's in that situation in their life where they just can't find You, they can't see You, just help them to uh, determine in their hearts to get these things right. And I pray those who are going through good times right now, Lord, I pray You'll help them to just make some determinations while they can see things clearly of things that they'll, uh, they're just going to implement in their life and they're not going to change on and you'll just help them stay strong on those things in your name we pray amen